Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? High drive. Left field. It is out of here. This is a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the very first episode of The Roundtable. It's a new show, and here's how it's going to work. It's myself, I'm Grant Brisby. I'm going to be talking with Andy McCullough every week, and we are going to bring on a guest. Today's guest is Stephen Nesbitt, and we're going to yammer. It's baseball yammering. And what there's going to be a lot of baseball yammering, and I just want to introduce Stephen Nesbitt. Thank you so much for being our first guest and having a name that I can pronounce the first time without embarrassing myself and like not someone I've worked with for like three years and realize I've never said their name out loud. So welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be the first friend of the pod. And, uh, you know, you get Theo Epstein one day on Starkville and to have me on the next day, This things are just looking up. <laughs> That sounds fit. You know, I, I really appreciate it. And I guess suppose I should have uh, let Andy talk first. Andy, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine. At least you're employed, Nez. Is Theo employed? Oh, yeah, he is. He works for the league. And he's like an owner, too, and uh, going into the Hall of Fame. He's like a future potential owner. Like, it's already a title he's, he's taken. We just don't know a franchise yet. Maybe he'll pull like a Derek Jeter. Remember when Derek Jeter just quit the Marlins one day? And it was like a story for like four hours. And now we, we just forgot it completely. That was fun. Where was he on the hierarchy of the Marlins? Like, he wasn't like one or two. He was... He was one or two, like, public-facing-wise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was the president of the team, wasn't he? Or I like, think yeah. CEO was like, he thrown was around. The, yeah, he wasn't the control person, but, like, he he was like the Stan Caston to Bruce Sherman's Mark Walter, I guess. Okay, that sounds important. All right. See, this is what you get with the yammering. Are you, are you ready to yammer? Because this is some good yammering so far. A little baseball shouting. Yeah, this is good. This podcast is going to be good because, you know, Grant and I are going to learn things every episode. Uh, like Grant just learned Derek Jeter used to work for the Marlins as recently as like three weeks ago. Oh man, no that that's what we we're talking about when we when we were like planning out this show. What's it going to be like? And Andy and I were both like, look, like we're not going to to talk about like the thirteenth man on the uh, Nationals pitching staff. Like that is not the the depth and breadth of knowledge that we bring. I think that's always Eric Fetty. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Oh, that, oh, you wow. want you want the show, Nesbitt? You want the show? We can have the show, right? We do come with hot takes, and we pepper them with mirth and jokes, and uh, uh, and so today is the hot take episode, right? So we each came prepared with our own pet hot take for the 2022 season, 
And that's what we're going to yammer about. So who thinks their take is the spiciest? I mean, I think we should let our guest go first. I'd be happy to go first. So let me deliver the, the first hot take of this show, but the, you know, 300th of, of the baseball season already. This doesn't sound like a hot take initially, but I think the Mets are going to have a Cy Young candidate this year coming out of that rotation where the horses, but uh, their only Cy Young candidate, in my opinion, would be Chris Bassett. Because, man, that takes that take just sucks. Like it's just, <laughs> like it's just like it's just go on. I mean, go on. I love the trade when when they did it because you effectively give up nothing to get Chris Bassett, who's been great in Oakland, who didn't particularly care for him anymore or for, for his salary, which again is, is not much of anything. So the take that Bassett's good is isn't really that outrageous, right? He would I think he he drew some Cy Young votes last year, and. With the ticket's difficult is that we're leaving out. This is probably out of top three consideration, uh, leaving out Jacob deGrom. He's injured. I mean, I don't think it's wild to say that deGrom might might uh, be injured too long and not make enough starts to to be at the top of the, the charts. Uh, and then Max Scherzer sounds like he's going to be making his regular start in week one. But I'm just not convinced that he's going to be able to sustain the, the 30 plus starts it's going to take. I don't think that part is 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 wacky. Just because, it, like Scherzer, the way he finished last year, it, it was easy to remember how good he was. It was easy to remember him closing out the Giants. But you know, there was the the dead arm. When you're talking about dead arms, are terrifying. It, you know, they're dead. You know, how much how much worse could it get? Uh, well, I guess a lot falling worse in baseball off terms. Is, yeah, yeah I, okay, yeah. but but you know, it's so like a dead arm for a pitcher of his uh, a vintage. You know, he's he's not. Young, he's going to be, uh, what is he, 37 this year? Yeah. So I, I think that that's not a hot ticket. But, you know, he's good. You, you want your team to sign him for many millions. But I, there's still a lot of risk. The thing with Scherzer is that, you know, on the one hand, right, the results, uh, if you want to throw out 2020, right, the results the last three years have been really good, right? Like he was awesome last year in the regular season. He was really good in 2019. Um, he was good in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, he was not particularly good in 2021, but you know, like the stuff is still there. Like he is, you know, apparently like the toughest guy in the world who like can pitch through all these sorts of various ailments and things. And yet he also like has kind of gotten himself to the verge of physical collapse in both 2019 and 2021. Uh, you know, like he had to ask out of a playoff game and 2019 in the World Series, like because his neck like gave out on it or kind of like spasmed or something, which, you know, he didn't pitch again until game seven. Like he had, uh, you know, he had the, the dead arm uh, when he get as he put it, overcooked his arm. Um, so, yeah, like at some point, right, like a 37 year old's arm is going to give out. I don't know if this necessarily is the year, but like I would be interested to know, like of he and DeGrom, like what the over under for starts they make this year is. You know, for the Mets, I'd be curious what you guys think. Like, if you set it at 40, would you take the over? I would. I think I would take the under on that. That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. I will say to your point, like Scherzer had, he asked out because of the neck. He he said the dead arm, listen, this isn't going to work. I have to, you know, I can't make this, this start in the 2021 postseason. That might be like a, a feature and not a bug to have a pitcher who is both just like wildly intense and in, in, to the point where it's almost a detriment, but still has that ability to like say, ah, but I can't push through this one, or I got to be honest here. Like maybe that ability to be honest with himself 
is how he's pitched in, into his late 30s and gives him a chance to have that Nolan Ryan type career where he's still pumping fastballs in his in his 40s. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The problem with like the hero behavior, hero mentality is once your body can't really answer the, the second half of that, you know, so maybe it would have gotten a lot worse if, if he had tried to push through that start in the postseason. So maybe you're right. You got to be cautious enough to be able to, to wave the white flag when when it's not smart for your body. And he might still be there. I mean, it's a credit the way he pitches, the mentality he has. It's a credit that he's gotten this deep into his career and his pitching so effectively. My money here is on on Bassett and I'm hearing the counter takes already. He's never had 30 starts in a season. He's never gone above 157 innings. And I hear all of that, but I just think he's got underrated stuff, even though it's a little underwhelming in the velocity department. And he's sort of a soft contact king. And, and that's what I'm looking for. I think it's going to work over in Queens. Well, the question, though, is how good their defense is. I mean, that's a that's a bit of an issue, right? Like they're not exactly, uh, you know, the 1985 St. Louis Cardinals, I think, when it comes to catching the baseball, which which hurts your case a little bit. It does, but I think I'm planning to sort of do a little bit of a, a card I send out to every BBWA member and just explain what FIP is, and that's really what I'm going <laughs> to lean on. Just like uh, you, just make your case that he was the best pitcher according to uh, Nesbit Plus, <laughs> your proprietary stat that you have. Right? It's it's a good stat. I've seen. It. I've, I've gone under the hood. There's a lot of things I was tweaking there throughout the season to make Bassett look best, but by the end of it, we we really got there. So if we're talking like, cause I'm bad at collectivizing like a, a defense and, and trying to figure out if it's going to be good or bad. We have an infield that's going to be Eduardo Escobar, uh, Francisco Lindor. You're going to have Jeff McNeil at second, probably Pete Alonso at first. Lindor's pretty darn good. I could see that now. And then you, you've got maybe Nimmo in center. You've got uh, Starling Marte in right, which is pretty darn good. Marquetta in left. Uh, okay. I like one of those. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay Nimmo's okay. fine in center. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. The DeGrom thing, uh, you know, I understand like it's also, it's, you know, it's a bummer for Mets fans. It's a bummer for the baseball world in general that he's hurt yet again. But it's like, it's a bit of a problem for the, for the Mets. There's a really significant amount of weight on the hopes of, you know, a significant responsibility for like the the hopes of this team resides on DeGrom and Scherzer, you know, being healthy. And like that is already in question, you know, that's and and DeGrom, like it's kind of unclear when he's going to get right again. He's not getting younger. He hasn't pitched since last July, I think, you know, it's almost like an off season of, you know, rest didn't change anything <laughs> with what was going on with his arm and back and neck and everything. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit problematic for the, for the club, I would say. I was in Mets camp just about two weeks ago now, and this is a day DeGrom was pitching that night. He went against the Marlins, I think through three innings. And at that point it looked like they had a, a kind of a stupid surplus of, of pitchers. You weren't going to use Tyler McGill, Tywin Walker was probably the end of the rotation. Maybe uh, Cookie Carrasco was there, but it looked like they had just a ton of surplus in the rotation. And now <laughs> just the other day after the Scherzer hammy uh, news that he might not be ready for the opening week, I got a text from someone in their organization saying, so who's, a, who's still available in the pitching market? Are the A's guys still gettable? And I think that's the way they're looking at it is you can't count on DeGrom to give you at this point, even, you know, 20, 20 plus starts, 25 starts. It seems, it seems like a real long shot at this point. And uh, he walked into camp the, the first day and said, you know, I'm, I'm opting out. Let's just get that out of the way now. And now it's like, well, I don't know. 
Well, I guess, you know what? Let me walk that back. We'll see how this goes. I mean, he still might, but but yeah. I will say that like, I have some sympathy for the Mets insofar as like, what are they supposed to do? Like as you, you have to expect that you're going to get some DeGrom. You can't just plan for no DeGrom. You have to build your team, your rotation around DeGrom. Like you have a DeGrom. That's where you start. You can't do anything else. You can't just assume he's, you know, you can build depth underneath him, but you're not going to find a new DeGrom. You just sort of have to cover your eyes and go, okay, uh, hope this works. And then you pair with them like another guy you would want to start in game seven of the World Series, perhaps in Scherzer. You're not going to find a lot of those guys, you know, even if he's old, even if he's vintage. Uh, you know, Kevin Gossman's nice. Robbie Ray's nice. But if you want like a guy, it's, it's going to be Scherzer. And you came away with Scherzer to pair with DeGrom. Like, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go on the other? Are you supposed to be the Giants and get like Alex? Alex Cobb and Anthony Disclafani, like, no, that's not if you're Steve Cohen. You want to you wanna be big and bold, and they were, and I feel like I hate how it's so stereotypically Mets at this point because it, it should have worked, kind of, maybe. It still might. Like, it still might. I actually really liked their offseason. You know, I, I, I like Mark Canna. I like Starling Marte. I like Eduardo Escobar. Um, you know, there's reason to believe, like, James McCann will be better. There's reason to believe that Francisco Lindor will be better. I mean, there's still – it's still a pretty good team that probably profiles in the, you know, in the mid-80s to high-80s in terms of wins. It's just if you had 50 to 60 starts from, you know, two of the five best pitchers on the planet, it could all of a sudden be a 93-win team who could actually challenge Atlanta. I think as currently constructed, it's kind of tough – it's not tough to see them beating Atlanta, but I think Atlanta is the obvious favorite in the division. And given how much money the Mets spent this winter, that is probably a bit frustrating, uh, you know, for Uncle Steve. I'm painting a pretty worst case scenario here with my with my hot take. <laughs> um, if they wind up with a healthy Scherzer throughout the whole year, and even if Degrom only gives you half a year, you still really like that rotation. But if it, it winds up something where where you are down those two guys for significant portions of the season. You're looking at a rotation that's Bassett, Carrasco, Tywin Walker, Tyler McGill, and probably David Peterson or uh, Trevor Williams, which at that point, you're not scaring anybody with that rotation. I will say that when I looked at their projected lineup, uh, when it was all kind of put together, the first thing I did was I laughed because I remember that Robinson Cano existed and now he's got a spot in, in the <laughs> as a DH. But also, like, I, I really am impressed with that depth, top to bottom. Like, every hitter should be there. They belong. You've got Mark Canna maybe hitting eighth, which is probably where he should be. You've got James McCann maybe hitting ninth, probably where you would want a catcher uh, of his, you know, he's he's a solid offensive catcher when he's right, but you want him hitting ninth. It's a good lineup. And so when you're talking, if you get 40 starts from Scherzer and DeGrom with that lineup, uh, I think that should be enough to work. And they're building out depth behind them. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm more bullish on the Mets than I'm, I'm suggesting here. I get the same reaction I get when looking at the, the Tigers revamp lineup to pivot a little bit here. They just pulled off the trade for Austin Meadows, who is an interesting hitter, a lot of power, not a lot of OBP, real hit or miss, as it were. Now, the Mets are definitely better, I think, top to bottom in that lineup. But it, it gives the appearance, at least, where you walk down that lineup, you say, oh, okay, that, that's a guy, right? We're not talking, the, the other player in that trade was Isaac Paredes. Like, you come across him in a lineup, you're not really super interested in that. But sort of one through nine, you're interested in the Tigers, just like you're interested now in the Mets. And I think that's the step that a, a number of teams took forward this offseason is, is that lineup filling out and lengthening all right we're gonna move on to another hot take andy do you want my hot take do you want your hot take they're both scintillating all right you go first i'll close it out 
All right, so I'm doubling down on this hot take because I just did the power rankings for The Athletic the first one of the year. Um, I, they asked for our predictions, and uh, I submitted the predictions for World Series and all this stuff. My hot take is that the Padres are going to win the NL West. This isn't like a half-hearted prediction. This is a tenth-hearted prediction. I don't actually believe this. <laughs> At the same time, you know something stupid is going to happen in baseball, right? It's the Giants last year. It's the Twins the year before that. You're going to have a team, you know, crawl out of the muck and mire and, and become a contender or do something outrageous. And uh, I took some notes as to why the Padres are my team. Okay. So the first one is, uh, <clears throat> come on. And the second one is, why not? And the third one is, come on, like it's their time. It is their time. Like it's, they deserve, they've, they're trying, they're trying. They have the franchise of misery. Like they have what, you know, Cubs fans lost in 2016. They have what the Red Sox lost when Jimmy Fallon ran on the field. Like they have all this stuff built up. Like they retired Steve Garvey's number because he had like one stinking hit back in the day. They deserve it, but also I kind of like their pitching, which makes Andy mad, I know, and I can't wait to hear his thoughts on their starting pitching. I love their pitching. I think they've got strong depth, strongish depth, but I just think something wacky is going to happen. I think it was like C.J. Abrams is going to go nuts. Mackenzie Gore is back. Something is going to propel them. That's my hot take. Tell me I'm wrong. I can see them making the playoffs. I just don't think they're particularly good. <laughs> like, I think offensively, right, first of all, their best players hurt, and their best player is, um, frankly, you know, hurt relatively often, uh, given that Fernando Tatis is going to make $340 million. Like, it's probably a bit concerning how often he's gotten hurt in recent years. But that's a take so hot that, you know, we're going to have to wait until the show has been going for several years that we're comfortable enough to air it publicly. Yeah, I mean, the depth of the lineup is really problematic. The bench is short. Uh, and then the pitching, like, look, I mean, you Darvish is probably like the most talented pitcher on the planet in terms of manipulating the baseball and things he can do. Uh, he had a four ERA last year. Blake Snell had a four ERA last year. Joe Musgrove is a perfectly fine number three, number four. Sean Manaya is a number four. Nick Martinez is like their number four starter. And like he, he was not playing in the continental United States last year. You know, they're Relying on Mike Clevenger, who is hurt and uh, is coming back from Tommy John, to Nelson Lamette has been hurt. Like, uh, there's always like, like tweets with like you know the Padres pitching depth, and it's just a list of like guys, and it's like guys who aren't particularly good, you know, guys who are in the minors. Chris Paddock, who you know they would like would like to trade um, because you know they don't seem to think he's. I don't know if they like to trade him, but like he he seems to be a, a excellent candidate to be good somewhere else. There's lots of folks around the game who, you know, sort of have doubts about their pitching development. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I could see it. I just think that it's a flashier connect. It's a flashier collection of names than it is like an actually cohesive, talented team. I have a follow-up for you, Grant. Looking at the predictions uh, story that went up, and it's scintillating content. You guys should definitely check it out. It looked like zero percent of people picked the Padres to win. The division? Do you have them winning a wild card and, and going all the way? That's a good question, and I will uh, answer that. You, did you forget about your gut take on the Padres when you got to the division? No, it is. Uh, it's a very simple explanation: is that I don't know. I spent as much time on those predictions as you would expect someone as thorough as as myself would spend them on. Uh, I think I did for that. I think I had them as as the wild card. 
going into the World Series. However, maybe I just read up on the Padres and I really, really like them between then and now. And that's where the hot take came from. I wouldn't just invent a hot take, you know, for the show. The best hot takes are the newest ones, yeah. What's well, one thing you have going for you, and this isn't necessarily a hot take. This is actually just something I sort of think. I think the Dodgers will win fewer than 95 games this year. I think the Dodgers are not, they're not like the greatest team of all time type of shit. Like, they're a good baseball team. They're a good baseball team that has many, many famous players. However, they're older than they've ever been. The pitching depth is shorter than it's ever been. You know, like, the bullpen was really good last year. It's a bullpen. You know, Lord knows what it'll do, you know, moving forward. I think the Giants are going to be good. I, I, I don't – I mean, Grant, you understand the Giants, you know, certainly is well, better than the two of us, but probably, you know, as well as anyone. Like, they have some sort of, you know, sauce that seems to work. I don't foresee the Dodgers as, like, this super team. I think they're going to be a, a pretty good team. Yeah, I don't know. So there, there's that helps your case. I'm scarred by just expecting them to be a super team and then them being a super team. <laughs> even when things go wrong for them, like, oh, you know, you're thinking they're a super team because, oh, Dustin May is going to do this and Clayton Kershaw is going to make 32 starts every year. And then those things don't go uh, well for them. And they still just come out the end of super team. Uh, you know, 2019, they won 106 games. Um, I don't remember how many games they would have won in a 162-game season with their 2020 winning percentage, but it was like, you know, Mariners, 2001 Mariners stuff. Uh, They won 106 games last year. The last two times they've played a full season, they've won 106 games, and I'm not sure that they're appreciably worse than any of those seasons. Even now you've got uh, Justin Turner's, what, 37? You've got Chris Taylor's, 31, 32. So you have some players who are in their 30s, and yeah, they're kind of relying on guys like Tony Gonsolin and Andrew uh, Haney and you're thinking well you know if this doesn't work they'll figure it out I just I think that they are a super team it'll be like Tyler Anderson throwing 120 innings of 3.1 ERA baseball and oh it'll make sense in retrospect I think to give a little bit of a credit to your to your take I do like the top half of the Padres lineup I think without Tatis it it doesn't scare a lot of people it just falls off a lot uh, in the back half but you know, I like Trent Grisham. I think he can do some good things in baseball. Luke Voigt is going to be a fascinating experiment if you just give him full run. If, you know, does he hit you 40 bombs? What, what does he do when you have, you know, the world is, is his oyster? So I think they're an interesting team, but uh, just about everything would have to go well in the rotation. And I'm not sold that those arms or the collection of guys and tweets, like Andy said, are, are going to really put together five for the whole season. When has just relying on everything going right in a rotation gone wrong? When has that plan ever not worked for any team, especially the Padres? Hyperlink back to the first segment. Have you ever heard the phrase, you can have too much pitching? Uh, yeah, I sure have. Is that is that the, they have too much pitching? Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will say that when I was making my hot take, like I was speaking it aloud and, and putting these things into the world, I went to the, the depth chart and I saw still there hitting fifth Eric Hosmer uh, with Will Myers behind him. And I said, okay, maybe I maybe I'm overselling this, but I think that's the point. And I think you know, they have a strong farm system, strong-ish. They've traded a lot. It's really, they've decimated it through trades, but I still think that they can get some guys up there to help. Uh, maybe it's C.J. Abrams, maybe it's not. But I I don't know. I just, I want every year to make a stupid prediction. 
And I think this is what my stupid prediction is. Because one of these years, like you won't remember if last year, I, if I was saying like, oh, the Phillies are going to win 107 games, right? You'll forget about that. But if I say the Giants are going to win 107 games last year, I get to talk about that for 20 years. I get to come on to the, the podcast that's beamed into your Apple iBrain app that just goes straight into your brain. I got to remind you that in 2021, I picked the Giants to win 107 games. I didn't do that, and I'm regretting it. So my prediction is that the Padres win 108. No, I'm kidding. I, I, just, I think that they're going to do. I think they're going to do well this year. I think it, I, I, I'm kind of bullish on them. Maybe I shouldn't be. What number do you think it takes to win that division? Whoever, whoever comes away with it. Like, I think 95 games, 96 games. I think that is reasonable in a normal division, a normal strong division, right? Like the AL East, 95 should be enough. You might get one or two teams going wacky and getting up there in the, the triple digits. But I think in a normal season, even with a very strong team like the Dodgers are projected to be, I think 95 wins is, is safe enough. I think so. I mean, I think like the D-backs are going to be a little bit better this year. Like not, you know, I, I just think they played so underneath their true talent last year that like they're, they'll probably be a little bit more competitive. Lord knows what the Rockies are doing or will do. I don't mind their rotation. Like they seem to have some pitchers who can give you at least quality Coors Fieldish innings. So I, you know, like the, the Rockies aren't as bad as they could be if they were just throwing things against the wall with the rotations. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think it is time for your take now. I think it is time for you to, to just burn our flesh off. I think the Oakland A's have had a good winter. I feel like there's this like uh, there's like this paradigm now where when when you like uh, when you write about baseball, especially in a very like uh, online way, you have to sort of insist that every team pushes all in every single season. Which like, yeah, I think we can all support that general concept. Like, I'd also, you know, like to live in a world with like universal healthcare and a library system that includes like um, like. Confessions of an Ivy League bookie by Peter Alston, which I can't seem to find anywhere in the world except for extremely expensive prices online as a used copy. Um, but like you know, we live in this world. Like you know, there's this guy like John Fisher who owns the A's, and he operates in a way that runs contradictory to how like a lot of fans would want the team to be run. Um, you know, I'd like to live in a world where like the A's don't offer Marcus Semien like less than a qualifying offer, but this is what we got. Like, so given those constraints, like constraints of reality, like I'm not sure what the A's were supposed to do for 2022. They won 86 games in 2021. They were third in their division in terms of true talent right now. Like they're behind Houston and Seattle. Um, and you can like squint and make an argument that they're behind, uh, you know, Anaheim. Um, in the rest of the AL, like they're behind the Rays, they're behind the Jays, they're behind the Yankees, the White Sox, the Red Sox. Uh, in terms of like prospects in the farm system, they were behind everyone pretty much. You know, Keith Law had his rankings out before the lockout, and Oakland was like 29th. They haven't drafted well for a while. Um, you know, they had one player in the top 100. Uh, and so, you know, they had sort of decided or, you know, whatever, uh, however you want to phrase it, but they weren't going to pay, you know, to keep Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. So like, who are they going to go after this winter that would have made them the best team in the ALS? Like, this is not a team that was like a Michael Conforto away from winning the division. Like, I don't even think they were like a Carlos Correa away from winning the division. So like, given how barren the cupboard was like how sort of weak the farm system was like i think it just made sense to just sell it all like and they have right they've traded both the mats they traded bassett they traded Manaya. there's a thought that they will trade frankie molentos uh when ramon loriano comes back they may trade him um you know they traded like everything that's not you know nailed down for lack of a cliche and like you know, as the A's often do, they sort of bought in bulk uh, and they bought in a, you know, a variety of ways. Like there's going to be guys who are in the majors this year, the guys who are further away. You know, they got Christian Pache, uh, who's kind of a real good athletic uh, outfielder from the Braves. You know, they got, there's, I don't, whatever, they got a bunch of prospects. I'm not a prospects guy. I, I, I don't know if they're good or bad. You know, JT Ginn was a first round pick a few years ago uh, from the Dodgers, um, but he didn't sign. Anyway, like, I feel like the A's made a pretty good faith effort at contending with their previous core, like just as they have done in previous iterations over the last, you know, 25 years or so. And like, you know, outside of like drafting, you know, Olsen and Chapman, like they built that team through trades like Bassett, Simeon, Manaya, Montas were all trades. Uh, Mark Canna, I think, was a rule five guy. Like this is kind of what they do. Billy Bean and David Forrest have done it really well for a long time. Um, then they're kind of going through another round of it just with a bigger purge. And, like, I get sort of, like, in general why 
people are so upset about this, but it's also like this is probably the right thing for them to do. Like, and it's like, yeah, do A's fans, you know, quote unquote, like deserve better? Like, I I guess, but like, what were they supposed to do? I think the answer is like, it's it's twofold, where you can look in a vacuum and you can see the, the 2022 A's and how they were constructed at the end of the 2021 season and come to that conclusion where you have a 29th ranked farm system and you have, you know, X amount of talent. What are you going to, how are you going to overcome the Astros? How are you going to even trade body blows to the Mariners? Who are you going to sign? Like you say, it's not Michael Conforto, but in the bigger picture, the longer term, like I get that the A's have been a baseball phoenix and they always rise up out of the ashes and they trade and they, they come back. And, and that has been the cycle. But I will just say that the cycle is exhausting for the fans. And like I live 10 minutes away from the ballpark. I'm talking to A's fans constantly. I, that's at my daughter's softball games at uh, just with my neighbors. I mean, it's just I'm constantly talking A's and they are so disgusted, just so disgusted with this specific teardown. So the baseball Phoenix analogy, it's like always like this bird rises out of the flames and it's always got like one wing that's hanging down or it's got like like a weird beak. And you're like, oh, OK, that's not like the beak of flame that I and then it goes into ashes again. So it's like it's always like almost the perfect team. And then it just goes down. What makes me the angriest is how much effort the the current ownership has spent saying, don't go to our baseball games like our stadium is a mess our stadium is awful stay away until we get the new stadium because this thing is a dump and it feels like that's been the message that's been transmitted and then for them to raise prices almost doubling ticket prices for season ticket holders last fall is just bananas it feels like they're doing the major league thing where they want to move to vegas which i i still don't believe but like this is an area that is so desperate for a team. The East Bay, like I went to an Oakland Roots game and they are uh, like the AAA version of MLS. And it was a sold out game and people are going nuts. They're banging drums like they want a team. The Warriors are gone to San Francisco. They want so bad for the A's to be that team. And it just feels like oh, prices are up. The stadium's just like, we're not even going to fix it. Why would we do that? And uh, all your favorite players are gone. So it makes me mad. I mean, it's good for me personally because I like to tailgate and bring my family and tickets are going to be really cheap. Like, I don't care about the on-field product. I just want a barbecue. Um, but I do think, like you said, Ace fans deserve better. From a strategic standpoint, I think I'm with Andy that if you're going to go through this cycle of you're trying and then you're very explicitly not trying, I almost give them credit for that. I mean, they gave it a go last year. They brought in some guys at the deadline. They brought in Starling Marte for one. And then they they didn't make any bones about it this offseason. We hit the offseason and they said, OK, here's take what you will. So there are a couple of ways to go strategically, right? You could have kept those guys until they walked in free agency, which doesn't seem great. You could have kept everybody around and added, added, added. And that's what happens in baseball. The The beauty of not having a salary cap is you can always spend more money. And so theoretically, a team like that could spend to stay in contention despite having the 29th ranked farm system. But the reality is they're never going to do that. Just like so many clubs toward the bottom aren't going to spend to keep themselves in it without a farm system that is producing you know, homegrown talent. And so you know they chose the path where we're just going to really be bad for a while. And it happens at a time when we have a new CBA that purports to be dealing with tanking and, and, and no, it doesn't really. They'll still get a nice draft pick. They'll still get you know a large pool of money to, to spend on those draft picks. Um, this is the time where they're going to restock the farm system. So strategically, I don't really have a problem. I think it's just 
what fans see, and I'm, I'm not speaking as an A's fan, I'm speaking from a guy who built a Google Doc for the Hopo meter and has read about 300 A's fans' comments, mostly saying sell the team or just go ahead and move to, to Vegas if this is how you're going to act. I think a lot of people, it's the how aggressive they are with the you know downturn of spending. I was talking to, to someone in the someone in the game a couple of weeks back who said, hey, go take a look at all the guys that the A's have gotten back. Notice that not one guy they've gotten this offseason has been making above league minimum or a prospect who's not even on the 40 man. That is not by mistake, right? Their their plan was to keep everyone as cheap as possible. And so you see these numbers flying around of how much, you know, 40, 45 million, whatever they're going to be spending this year. And that's that's how they're going to go. And I think it's an insult to fans, or they take it as such anyway. And then you add in the stadium factor with we're not even sure if they're going to stay here or where they're going to be in our city. Yeah, people are pretty, pretty upset. There are more bones left than I, I sometimes give them credit for. Like, I like Sean Murphy. I think he's a really good catcher. You've got uh, Steve Biscotti. Uh, I like him. You've got Tony Kemp, who's a marvel last year. And if he's any bit as good as he was last year, he, he should be uh, pretty darn fun to watch. Like, they've got guys that you, I would like to have seen them not get a Conforto, but I, I'm not. I'm trying to think of like the perfect free agent for them. I think that they existed though. Like I think it, Anthony Rizzo made sense for them as opposed to to Stephen Vogt, you know, at first base. Like there should have been something there that they could have done to buttress like a, a roster that had a little bit of talent. Um, you know, before the trades, they had a lot of talent. I think that they were pretty close last year closer than than maybe Andy thought that they were as far as uh, okay they won 80 something games I, I think that there was a little bit more of a carcass there before the trades yeah I mean I just don't agree like I just Anthony Rizzo on that roster is it's like what it's an 84 win team and like yeah I mean that's I, I okay I guess I'm thinking of it more from a baseball ops stance rather than an ownership stance like yeah sure so you know sell the team whatever like build a new you know pay for your own stadium like all that stuff but like again like that's not the world that we exist in and like i don't know i would bet on the a's being good again within the next like two or three years like they don't baseball phoenix they don't do hard teardowns like look at their baseball like look at their baseball reference page like yeah they have not won obviously like during this time but like this is what they do you know, they're good for three or four years. And then they kind of hit the end of the cycle. They deal all those guys off. They're kind of bad for two or three years. And then they're good for three or four years. They've had like five different iterations of this. Who is to say that like Pache can't be the next, you know, version of like Simeon who like all of a sudden he's like a seven win player. And you're like, whoa, this is incredible. The A's have done it again. You know, I just think that because man, there's just, it just feels like very constraining on the internet, maybe just on Twitter, that if you like trading for prospects or something, or if like you think a contract is like kind of outrageous, you're like anti-labor or, you know, like a bootlicker. It's just like, I don't know, man. Like I'm not, like I'm, I'm not like I just. Andy McCullough, known bootlicker. Yeah. Known like, you know, <laughs> baseball reactionary. Uh, like, I don't know. I just think, I think they made, I don't know if the prospects are any good. Like I would just bet on them. I, I think their front offices earned the benefit of the doubt. Let me pose this to you because you might know an answer, a concrete answer more than I do, but 
I seem to remember that their baseball ops department is is thinner than it used to be, that they have fewer analysts than they used to. Like, I get that they can't afford to pay Brad Pitt what he was making when they hired him the first time. Um, but like, if you are the team of Moneyball, and that's how you've had this kind of cyclical success, that you would want to, if you're not spending on Anthony Rizzo, and yeah, okay, maybe that does make the best baseball sense, but you should at least invest in the quants. Get, you know, just like an army of people with abacuses or abacai or whatever the plural is and just have them twiddle and just that way you're finding you know you are finding the Kevin Gossman's before the Giants you are finding the problem is that the smart teams are doing that like the the Dodgers are doing that the Giants are doing that the Yankees are doing that the Mets are going to start doing that I mean the A's spend like in that department that very narrow department could they like trade body blows financially with one of those teams like it can't cost 30 million in the simplest terms no and they're not going to spend outspend Steve Cohen on anything and you know the Yankees have have just have an army of guys the the Dodgers have an army of guys you know I mean they can try sure and you get more bang for your buck there but like it's just that's an inefficiency that's already been plumbed you know like the Brewers are doing stuff like that like lots you know the the Astros like all you know all sorts of you know quote-unquote smart teams but why couldn't the A's be the Brewers the A's are the Brewers Okay. The A's won 97 games twice in like two years ago. They won it in 19 and 18. The Brewers never done that. So are you saying that Brewers are going to like all of a sudden like be in the same cycle eventually? Yes. They're borrowed time. Okay. The Brewers are doing what the A's do. The Giants to some extent, right, when they did their rebuild, did what the A's do, which is like you don't do hard teardowns. Now the A's have actually pivoted and gone a bit harder, but like – how good that team was in 18, 19, and 20, I think is going to go underappreciated in 18 and 19 because they were going up against the Colossus from Houston. And in 2020, which was probably their best team, you know, it just gets wiped out by COVID. You know, they won the division and they've like won a playoff series, but like, you know, they ended up losing to the, you know, to the Astros and that sort of weird postseason. So like, I just think they made a really good faith effort at contending. And, you know, when they saw like, it's, Better to trade guys too early rather than too late. And if anything, you could argue like they pulled the trigger late on Chapman and they could have gotten more from him if, the, if he was still, you know, like a peak type player. I mean, he had 100 OPS plus last year and they still got a decent haul for him. So I don't know. I feel like they kind of approached the end of the, the cycle with this group. They hadn't drafted well enough to, you know, to supplement them and they made like a hard turn. And I think that's probably the right decision. I think the optics of a hard hard sell-off and cratering payroll are, are never going to be very good. But I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, Grant, as the, the local man boots on the ground. Do you think it would be received differently from uh, by A's fans if they had, sure, trade away all these guys, trade away my, my kid's favorite player, but we'll bring in Rizzo on a one-year deal. We'll bring in three, four guys on one-year deals. So we're, you know, $55 million payroll. And we at least have some something to watch for guys to flip at the deadline like that's one way to do it uh, a quick tank job is to let's bring in some talent every year on one-year deals that we're going to try to we're going to try to trade but they're not even really doing that they're still on the the mode of trading established guys yeah i think that would have helped at least with the perception of okay you know what we do need to to we, we have to bolster the farm system we have to as a small market or small revenue team we have to uh 
we have to somehow plan for the future. And this is how we're going to do that. And we've got to trade a year or two too soon rather than a year too late. That would have helped. I think the biggest slap in the face was them raising ticket prices to the degree that they did in, I think it was September, or October. And to go from that and before the Zelda uh, uh, teardown, I was hearing from a lot of people like I I'm not renewing like you know middle up middle finger to them I can't do this are they nuts um, and then to go from that to this uh, teardown I mean it's it's easy to get cynical and conspiratorial but like that one two punch is weird as heck like that you just don't do that if you know the teardown's coming you're trying to to wheel and deal and, and get these season ticket holders back I don't know that like a one year contract would have done anything to get those season ticket holders back. I don't think that there's an army of one-year contracts that could have done that. It's just the perception. And I think a lot of the fans around here are used to that cycle of, okay, now's the time where they trade and then they come back and now you've got the Marcus Simeon and he's up and then he's gone and then you you aggregate the prospects again. Like they're used to it, the fans. But it, this one just felt, I don't know, especially just tacky with the timing perhaps or maybe they wanted one more year to run it back because they were contending last year they were trading for Starling Marte last year and it it just felt like it's a little bit less complete or obvious as it was in previous years you know throughout the lockout we had fans saying left and right on Twitter that player salaries are are the reason that ticket prices are so high and I think A's fans now are saying I wish I wish they were tied I wish those two (laughs) things were tied but unfortunately that's been debunked I like the idea of Grant living out the like conservative meme of like, I'm here at a liberal coffee shop in Berkeley and all anyone can talk about is how they are getting rid of their A's tickets. Oh my gosh, it's true, it's true. I do talk, like my my uh, nephew, he's a big A's fan. The first thing he said when he walked into my house two weeks ago was like, I'm done, I'm a Giants fan, I'm done. And he's not a Giants fan. He'll be back as soon as the A's are good. But like, I have experienced that conservative mean. And like I said, for me personally, like I love to find last second tickets on StubHub for like a, a, a Tigers-A's game or like, a, and just go out. I put up a, like a one of those little canopies. I grill like some tube meats and it's like, you know, 20 bucks and there's nobody around us. And I I love it. So for me, this is great. They have the food trucks there. Like the Oakland Coliseum is a a good experience. Yeah. I love the Coliseum. I do. Like it's just because once you, okay, so it's kind of gross as you're walking around, whatever. You sit down and you watch and there's like a a green, you know, there's white lines going this way. There's a foul pole. Like who cares about the stadium once you're there? It's great. Yeah, but it's also a dump. So they they should probably sort that out. It's incredible dump. But again, I grew up at a candlestick, you know what I mean? So, and when I was growing up, it was like, we would go to A's games and this is in the eighties and like, you would take Bart there and it was just like such a freaking wonder. Like it was open before <laughs> Mount Davis. It was like, you open, open uh, in center field. The weather was better. It was still cold, but it wasn't like, and so like, that's why I love the Coliseum so much is because growing up, that was like a Shangri-La. So, all right. Well, this has been uh, the round table. How was the yammering on a scale, 20 to 80 scouting scale? How was the yammering today? Uh, Andy, I'll let you go first. 20 to 80 yammering. I think it was like 50 grade yammering. 50, that's, that's solid, right? Steven, how about the yammering? Give it a grade. I think it was good. Definitely, you know, spring training, getting some kinks out here, but we're getting close. I think 55. I felt pretty good about it. They're, you know, A's fans are just going to eat this up. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to be clear. I'm not saying A's fans aren't right to be upset. I just think that in two years or so, everyone will forget why they were so mad about this phase. 
I think you make a good baseball argument. For, I honestly do. Like I do, you know, I, I I'm close to the situation, um, but I think you make a good baseball argument for in isolation. Like it just makes sense. So I'm with you. You convinced me. You've got a good hot take. All of our hot takes were fun, especially uh, mine. Came up with it. But um, so let me just preview real quick some of the big stories that we've got coming on the athletic. It's a dollar a month for six months. Uh, come on, come on. You know you want that. You have uh, Ken Rosenthal's season preview. That's going to be a big honker on Wednesday morning. Uh, you have 30 team previews coming throughout the the week. You have power rankings, which is your opportunity. I write a part of the power rankings. You get to go into the comments section of the power rankings and say things like, the twins are 18th? No way, they're 16th, you idiot. And that is your God-given, right? We're going to have hitter tiers coming out, the Aces Project, and then the Hope Meter. Stephen, you did the Hope Meter. So explain that, because I don't know what this is yet. I'm currently doing the Hope Meter. I want to say quickly okay. about the comment section. The best comment you can leave... <laughs> is complain about where your team or your players located and then say that invalidates the whole story. <laughs> Cause it does. And you're absolutely right. And it is your God given right. And you need to comment that every time you can. Hey, the hope meter is something I borrowed from man. Uh, other parts of the athletic, the premier league had it. And they said some funny words in there that I don't know that really translate to American English, but people loved it. <laughs> this is where you went in and voted yes or no. Are you optimistic for your team in 2022? And I got to tell you, the, the cut is about 66% of people said, two-thirds of people for the math crowd, they are optimistic about their team. One-third said not. And it's a very stark difference. And there are 12,000 responses. They wrote a couple sentences about why they felt that way. And well, there is a, a real diverse set of opinions there. And I've gone through all 12,000. It's a, it's a big list. Heck yeah, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. All right, we will be back next week to Yammer. Um, I will stop saying the word Yammer next week, I promise. And uh, thanks for listening. So uh, this is fun. We'll be back. All right, see you then. I need to work on a sun off. <laughs>